Welcome to the podcast. Today is March 8th, 2020, and today we're going to talk about how bad news sticks while good news fades, and why fear spreads faster than a virus. That's right, we got to talk about the coronavirus yet again, because there's been quite a few new developments. Now, one so-called scary thought that's been circulating quite a bit recently is that there may be many times more asymptomatic cases than there are confirmed cases. And that might sound kind of alarming in that, you know, these individuals will be walking around and perpetuating the spread of the virus. But in fact, if there are more people who are asymptomatic, it should also mean that the mortality rate is just a fraction of what it is reported as. So in other words, if you have 20 times more asymptomatic cases, well, then you're basically down to the mortality rate of, of, uh, of a flu. Now, if that's true, and I'm not betting on it, that's for sure, but that could represent some good news in all of this. Now, as with every key issue in the internet age, I mean, there are basically two diametrically opposed views that are starting to form here. So two warring tribes that kind of have drawn different conclusions as to what's going on, and they're re relentlessly mocking and ridiculing each other, as you would expect. So, for example, I mean, you have obviously the global warming alarmists versus the global warming deniers. You have the pro versus anti-Trumpers. You have the pro versus anti-Gretas. You have the pro versus anti-Bitcoiners. You have the Tesla versus Tesla Q and so forth. So there are a whole bunch of these dichotomies, basically, that are forming all over the place. And the issues are kind of dumbed down to two different camps. And in this case, it's the doomsday preppers versus the it's just the flu bro groups. So it is true that the common flu does kill quite a lot of people, but most of them are either elderly or frail in some way, or they have some kind of pre-existing condition. It is actually a pretty similar situation with this coronavirus thing, only the coronavirus is still luckily only around at a relatively small scale compared to the flu. So, and obviously we don't know exactly just how this thing will pan out yet, but I'm still more concerned with the panic and disorder than the actual virus itself. As I mentioned the other week, it's the panic that can really kill people. And it's the overwhelm of, you know, basic services and the scarcity of all the necessary goods and services, and etc. That's also something that kills. And all of this kind of kicks off when a certain narrative starts to spread. So let's look into the kind of media aspects of the virus reporting and the, all the social media hullabaloo that's continuing to build over the past couple of weeks here. And, you know, we keep seeing images on social media all the time of, you know, empty store shelves and so forth. You know, if a grocery store runs out of, let's say, toilet paper or rice, it's going to be on Twitter and Instagram two minutes later. I mean, forget about whether or not the store actually ran out of these products. It's, it's just enough that there's no more on the shelf as of that minute. And that's enough for a pretty juicy photo op. And that photo, that image is going to perpetuate very quickly on social media. However, when that shelf is replenished, that's not news. Nobody's going to take a picture of a fully stocked shelf, really. And nobody's going to be sharing that picture anyway. And, you know, there's this phrase that goes, bad news travels fast, which basically means that news about misfortune and trouble, they, that tends to circulate very quickly, probably a lot more quickly than good news, that's for sure. And also bad news is very difficult to retract. And as I mentioned before in this podcast, bad news is also pretty lucrative. So there's a reason why, you know, some of the fake news that you see out there uh, keeps on coming because nothing attracts traffic as effectively as a real killer of a story. 
And, you know, actually, speaking of which, there was a story circulating quite recently that the Pope had contracted the virus. And that story was really starting to gain some real traction. And, well, that turned out to be false, or at least it was vehemently denied by the authorities at hand. But still, if you are the first to a story such as this one, you're going to be garnering a lot of clicks and a lot of sweet, sweet ad revenue. And so, like I say, forget about whether or not the story is actually true. I mean, this is part of the reason why the news media revolves so much around the very latest speculation and pontification and why it's always kind of bordering on rumor mongering and untruths. Because it will bring in viewers, it's going to bring in listeners and readers and so forth. And like I say, bad news sells. But still, the revenue is only one component here. And when it comes to the news media business, on top of that, there's also an underlying agenda to boot, always. So oftentimes, the bad news are used as a means to an end. And you know, this really kind of harkens back to the Iraq war days, really. And I'll tell you why. Because shortly after the invasion of Iraq, the, the US troops, they would always find these suspected IEDs or improvised explosive devices. Uh, they would find them everywhere. And, and of course, it would create this cascade of news and it would be gobbled up by you know, an entire nation of people who were basically already at the edge of their seat. And these news stories would also speak to this looming you know, greater danger of weapons of mass destruction. And so it seemed like large-scale death was just around the corner. There was tragedy around every corner. That was how it was reported back in the day. But it was found very often, very frequently, that these supposed IEDs were actually just, you know, something like a discarded car battery next to the road. That wasn't headline news, you see. So the retraction of that initial suspicion, that's not newsworthy. Or certainly it's not as potent. Now, of course, as we all know, these WMDs, they were total baloney. Now, similarly today, a lot of untruths are, are being spread about, well, Donald Trump, for example, uh, usually by the New York Times. And these stories are often, well, near front page news. But meanwhile, the inevitable retractions, those are going to be page 50 news. In other words, they're going to go unnoticed pretty much. But still, that fear that's already been spread is going to linger. Now, in this case, though, the agenda seems to be to keep the population calm. I think that's pretty clear. And basically to try to lull people into some kind of sense of security and, and normalcy. So the established media, I think, I mean, they're being so obedient in towing the official line. With the official line, I mean, everything is under control, nothing to see here, folks. They're towing the line so much so that it's becoming obvious that the information that we're given is either false or even deliberately misleading. So for instance, we keep reading that basically masks do more harm than good, that you know, US cases are gonna start dropping towards zero, that this is you know, less of a threat than a flu, that there's you know, no risk at all to continue to, to gather in large groups, etc. Also, we keep on hearing that there's no need to stock up on groceries or medications or anything like that. And it's to the point now, I think, where the CDC's actual advice doesn't really match the official story anymore. So the CDC is saying something different from what the actual administration is putting out there. And so in this instance, it's pretty clear that the agenda is just to kind of squelch the worries, to, to calm the masses, so to speak. So much so that the official advice is not really sound at all anymore. And in fact... I mean, it seems that the WHO and the White House, all they're trying to do, or all they have been trying to do over the past couple of weeks, is just to kind of control the fear. And that is not a great strategy, I don't think. 
If we should ever learn anything from earlier pandemics, it's that trying to keep a lid on the truth, that's about the worst thing you can do. So had you admitted very early on that there was you know, any palpable indications of cases landing in the US, you know, that this is indeed a serious potential threat here, then you would have had a slight response from the public, but you wouldn't have had outright panic. But trying to insist that things are so much under control that, uh, you know, we shouldn't have any food or masks or water or stockpile anything like that or have medications or supplies on hand while the cases are actually mounting. Like I say, this is a horrible strategy and it's a strategy that I think is going to backfire because, I mean, sooner or later, you are going to start seeing that discrepancy between reality and the so-called PR out there. And when that happens, and you're going to see the confidence start to falter. Um, and then there's all of a sudden not going to be any trustworthy official narrative anymore. And at that point, not only is the worst case going to be assumed, but in the lack of any real information, well, then misinformation is going to start spreading. And I think that's when the real panic can take hold. So I think it's better to admit that there is a chance of a problem early on and to act while there's still time than to do what they're doing right now, which is to try and lull people into a false sense of security only to then have the truth inevitably emerge because it will emerge. So trying to force the beach ball under the water like this, that it's only going to make it pop up harder and faster. Also, let's not forget that in, in this day and age, bad news is also very easy to find. So what I mean by that is it's not just broadcast to you, but you can actually seek it out and you can seek it out in depth and in real time. So you can, you can search for, you know, coronavirus deaths and you can find a never ending stream of alarming news, let's face it. This is also curated for you with your location in mind, you know, based on your previous interactions and so forth. So again, the, the walls of your little filter bubble are going are gonna to start creeping up on you pretty quickly. Obviously, you should take the coronavirus threat very seriously. And I did advocate for taking precautions, you know, a month ago or so, probably more. But that said, you have to be wary of your own selective attention at the same time and the bias that comes with it. So it is possible to find information on, you know, cases near you. And, uh, you know, people have started obsessing over these interactive case maps, for example. You know, these giant ominous red circles of death that are encapsulating country after country and coming for you. So what I'm saying is you can work yourself into a state of panic just by looking at this. So yes, I mean, there is a very real possibility of continued exponential growth, but I think at this point, nobody knows for a fact if this is going to grow by another factor of a thousand. And if it does, and I don't mean to sound crass or cynical or anything like that, but it's only going to be lethal to a relatively small portion of those people who are affected. Of course, yes, it would be an utter humanitarian disaster, but chances are still greatly in your favor that you're going to be okay. But what is alarming, though, obviously, is if you are in one of the more elderly groups or have a pre-existing condition of some sort, then the virus is one thing, but also the threat of systemic healthcare failure is there too. If the hospitalization rates that we're seeing in Italy, for example, which is something like one out of every 11 people requiring intensive care, if that kind of generalizes to the US, then there's not a chance that they can keep the system up and running with all the added pressure that's going to come with those cases. So 
take precautions, use common sense, tell your friends to get some basic supplies, but, but don't whip people into a blind panic either. So hopefully you've done what you could already. So now you can calm down, you can monitor the situation and you can, you know, err on the side of caution here. But to try and put this all into perspective, I mean, the media has drummed up a lot of fear and anxiety around other threats over the past few years, and it's done it very effectively. So, I mean, what I'm saying is this is not the first one here. We've had many, many so-called serious threats over the past few years, and the response to some of those threats have been completely out of proportion. I mean, you can go back and look at everything from the ozone hole to the, you know, acid rain, AIDS, Ebola, SARS, global warming, climate change. I mean, these have all been presented to us as imminent, immediate, life-threatening crises, but they haven't proven to be such, at least not in the way they have been presented to us over and over and over in the media. And so most of the people who raise the alarm on these issues, I mean, I'm sure they have their heart in the right place. But also, let's not forget that there is a lot of money in all the attention you can garner from all this fear as well. As we all know, fear is a really strong motivator and it's something you can capitalize on as a, let's say, marketer or a politician or a businessman or an advocate of whatever your cause might be. So just wrapping this up, I mean, whether the mortality rate here turns out to be 1% or 3% or 10%, there will be some real consequences to this virus, I think. And in many ways, the damage is already done, the financial damage in particular. And these effects have not even yet fully materialized, I don't think. So yes, I mean, the stocks are down something like 10% since the outbreak, but with China now at a near standstill and, you know, demand, consumer activities and so forth starting to drop at the US, I think this is only just the beginning. Remember also that we won't see the Q1 financial results for another, well, month or two. And speaking of China, we haven't even seen the full effects from the disruption in the supply chains. I mean, there's still some water in the hose, so to speak, and it's enough to you know, keep the trickle going, but probably not for very long. So what we're going to see is, you know, that just in time inventory management is pretty quickly going to become no more stock inventory management. Anyway, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Trump administration and Wall Street both try to spin the next developments here and how they try to explain away the, the next quarterly results, which I don't think are going to be pretty. In fact, I might actually do a separate podcast altogether on the financial aspects, particularly as they pertain to, you know, more tech and media and so forth. So let me know what you think. Are you all stocked up on toilet paper and tuna cans and so forth? Are you wearing an N95 mask as we speak? Do you trust the media at all? You can email me on podcast at nyman.media. That's podcast at nyman.media. Or of course, you can comment on the podcast wherever you found it. Thanks for listening. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to comment on an episode or if you want to support the podcast, visit nyman.media slash podcast. That's n-y-m-a-n dot media slash podcast. Or feel free to leave a review wherever you're listening from. And thanks for listening.